Welcome to the Finding Backcountry Podcast with your host, Dustin Whitwer. I am Dustin Whitwer, and this is the Finding Backcountry Podcast. Follow along on my journey of learning from the best backcountry hunters each week as we explore valuable information I use to find success in the backcountry. Let's get to the show. Give the give this give this spiel. Give the you know the two minute you know the deal. Give the where you're yeah, from and who you are. Drill. Yeah, <laughs> two minute drill. Uh, yeah, I, I was born and raised here in Colorado. Um, I did live a few years outside of Colorado down in Texas, but for the most part, um, all except for six years of my life. So going on, uh, I guess it'd be almost 36 years now I've uh, been here in Colorado. So yeah, I'm native. Uh, my boys are sixth generation in the county here. So uh, family ties go back a little ways. So Nice. Um mule deer fanatic you uh you into any of the other i mean have you have you really hunted some of the other species they have there in colorado or just mule deer or what's your yeah no i um i've taken an antelope with my bow um always bear hunt i always have a bear tag and and i always have an elk tag and um kind of kind of been my nemesis i guess um ever since i was young i always said i'm gonna hold off and and shoot a uh shoot a mature bull for my first bull. And, um, now in this year will be my 28th year of hunting and, uh, I have yet to kill a bull. So <laughs> plenty of experience <laughs> hunting them though. <laughs> oh yeah. I've, it's, it's, this will be my 28th tag this year. So, um, I missed one year. Um, but last year I had a tag in Idaho as well. And as well as Colorado. And, um, I missed a bull last year opening weekend here in Colorado and, and stupid mistake and i didn't get my arrow clear of a tree my sight was clear of the tree but not my arrow and i just caught enough of the tree to send it about a foot over that bull's back oh man is it gonna become like your thing for any one season or like are you just gonna become so obsessed with it that you quit hunting mule deer or is that (laughs) never gonna happen that won't ever happen (laughs) i won't ever quit hunting mule deer (laughs) i figured but i will tell you this this next year um I should be drawing a, a tag. I've been putting in for eight years now and I should be drawing a tag. That's pretty close to where I'm at that, you know, isn't an easy draw, um, and has a good number of bulls. Um, it's not known for the, you know, 375 to 400 inch bulls, but if you're looking for, you know, 300 to 330 bull, the guys that I've talked to that have hunted it, you know, I've said, you're going to see plenty of bulls in that, in that range. So, yeah. um, so I'm going to do a little. Did I lose you? No, I'm still here. Can you not hear me? <laughs> no, I just picked you back up. Had a little dead Uh-oh. dead spot there. Uh, I don't usually lose anybody here. It's, I don't know. I just went quiet. But yeah, anyway, back up. Keep going. All right. So, so yeah, this year, you know, it'll be archery only for elk and then, uh, I'll probably pick up a, a mule deer tag um, for rifle season and then uh, maybe hunt out of state for archery as well for yeah. mule deer. But, um, yeah, elk's going to definitely be my focus for archery season this year. Nice. 
Um, so talk, let's jump into some of these changes in Colorado um, because there's, there's a couple big ones or at least one big one. Um, but talk about, um, may, maybe first just generally talk about the draw system and kind of what guys need to know um, if they're, you know, we're going to assume that most people that need this information are non-residents. Anyone that's a resident of Colorado probably, you know, understands it a little more and most of this will apply to them anyway. But speak maybe as like a non-resident what they need to know about the draw and then we'll touch on some of the changes. Yeah, so the, the biggest thing that um, that you're looking at as far as the change in the draw this year is that Colorado has gone to the electronic-only draw. So they've gotten rid of the paper draw. In the past, you could put in, you know, mail in an application, and they're not doing that anymore. So everything's done on the computer. Um, you've got to have a valid email address to, to get signed up. And, and then the, I guess, cool thing for a lot of people is that they're not charging up front the price of the tag. They're charging a $3 fee to put in for the tag. And if you draw the tag, then they'll, they'll charge your card. Um, so let's say you want to put in for a deer tag. Um, it's going to cost 300 bucks. If you draw that deer tag, they're going to hit you for the 362 or whatever it is. <laughs> $367, I think is what it is for the tag now. So, yeah. And um, that's, that's a big deal because in years past, for example, I've only worried about deer hunting and or, or accumulating points, at least for deer in Colorado, um, because you had to front the money, you know, it was, and that was 300 and whatever, almost 400 bucks for the deer tag. Um, and so even though I'd like to, you know, build points for whatever goat and sheep and moose and even elk, um, it just, it just wasn't worth, you know, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze, so to speak. And so what is that going to do to the to the bonus points or preference points or, you know, whatever Colorado has there? Yeah, it's going to, you know, I've, I've talked to a few people about it and some people aren't too worried. But I, I have a feeling that, you know, tags that take two years to, to get in about three years will probably take, you know, four points and I think the point creep is going to hit pretty hard here in about two to three years yeah. um, on some of the tags that are a little easier to get. Um, having said that, I think it's a great opportunity, especially for out-of-staters to build up points and put in for some of these units um, that maybe they, they wouldn't in the past. Like you said, you know, it, it wasn't worth it to be out all that money to try to build points for goat or bighorn sheep or or elk while you're still trying to draw a deer tag. Right. And now you have the possibility of doing that. Um, the one thing people should know, and I'm going to jump off track just a little bit right here. So then if I don't, I'll forget, but in Colorado, and this isn't new this year, but most people are not aware of this. I think it was new either last year or the year before. If you put in for a tag, let's say this year, um, you put in for your deer tag, but because it's only $3, you also put in for elk and antelope and, and all the other species that you can. The one thing to know that, that they're doing this year is on elk, deer, and antelope, if you did not have a tag the year before for that species, or if you did not have what they call an annual tag, which would be a fishing license or a small game license in the state of Colorado, then the state will charge you $40 for a preference point for that species. Right. Um, so a little hint to people, 
if you're going to be getting preference points for multiple species, like uh, so let's say deer, elk, and antelope, instead of paying that $120, if you go online and buy a fishing license, which you can still do until March 31st for 2017, it'll cost you, I think it's $56 or $52, but that'll be cheaper than paying the 120 for the preference points. Really? So, yeah. Wait, so you're saying they'll backdate it and you're actually buying a fishing license for 2017? Well, the way the way the fishing licenses work in Colorado is they go April 1st to March 31st. But my fishing license that I have right now is considered a 2017 license. What if, let's just say theoretically, and I'm asking for a friend. No, I'm not. I'm asking for myself because <laughs> I literally just applied for some of these today. Let's say that I already sent in an application for like bighorn, moose, goat, and some of those. Would I be able to go back and still buy that after, my, you think? Well, my understanding is that they are only charging the $40 for preference points on elk, deer, and antelope. Okay, so I've... And I've held my deer because I'm, I'm applying as a party with a couple of guys and I haven't done the elk yet either for probably the same reason. Um, I don't think. And, and I, then I think as long as you, even if you've put in already, as long as you purchase that before okay. the 31st of March, you'll be fine. Interesting. So have a fishing or small games license from the previous year or have or have held a tag for that species the year before. So for deer, I had a tag last year. I'm good there, no matter what. You're good, yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Thank you. Yeah, and it's it's one of those that's it's you read it three or four times in the proclamation, and you're still kind of at a loss. <laughs> like, what is this? I don't get it. And for me, it doesn't ever affect me or my boys or my dad or you know the people I hunt with here in Colorado because we all have fishing licenses every year. Yeah. So it's never affected us, but, you know, for an out-of-stater, if you're putting in, you know, my understanding, if you're putting in for deer, antelope, and elk, they're going to hit you for um, 120 bucks. Yep. Well, I mean, that's what I was planning on is at first I was like, this is crazy because these are only um, three, they're charging me $3. You know, they're, they're charging me a $10 habitat fee and $3 per species. I'm like, this is you know, and then and then I realized, well, yeah, they're going to hit you on the back end when you don't draw these for the preference point of the forty. And so, like you said, I was just planning on, you know, whatever it came to, one hundred and twenty or one hundred and fifty or whatever, uh, one hundred and sixty for the for all the preference points fees. So that's 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 worth a try at least. That's awesome. Yeah, and you know that that fishing license is it's either fifty two or fifty six dollars. I, I looked it up today, and it's in the fifties. So okay, it's definitely if you're going to get you know, at least two preference points, Yeah. you know, for deer and elk or elk and antelope, it's worth buying that last year's tag, even though you don't get to use it. Um, you know, it's worth it to have it. So, you know, and my, my opinion, my, not my opinion, but my, uh, prediction on this bonus point thing, stuff like this, it seems always, there's always 50% of the guys I'm going to say that won't realize this until next year. They just won't. They're the, they're the guys that just kind of nonchalantly apply for Colorado and it's not really like, they're not as into it as most of us listening to this podcast are. They're not the guys that are like living and breathing it. And it might take them two, one or two or three years to catch on to this. Oh, I don't have to front the money in Colorado anymore, I think. Um, 
I, I don't know. I, you know, I guess I shouldn't say that because they're going to get on and apply and see it, but it, it just, you know, maybe they're buying an over the counter elk tag or something like that where they're not actually applying. Um, I can just see it trickling for, you know, a year or two before it really becomes, you know, Oh, okay. Like I should be applying for all these species. Um, and so I, I, I think as long as, as long as you're a non-resident and you get in this year, you know, and you start building points for everything, you might be one or two points ahead of that wave, so to speak, that's going to just. Yeah, I think, I think you will. And, and, you know, I'll tell you this, like I tell a lot of people, um, I've saved my elk points now for eight years. I won't ever do that again. You know, there's, yeah. there's units and, and deer, I'll never have more than two, two points for deer in Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it just, there are too many units that are, if you look and you pick your seasons and you do a little research that with two points, three points, you can, you can have an absolute outstanding hunt. Yeah. Um, so let's let, saying that. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just going to jump, I was just going to jump in and talk deer. I was going to say, let's just get into it while you're talking about it. So what, um, kind of give just like the, you know, the, the one or two liner brief overview of the deer situation in Colorado. Um, the deer situation in Colorado, um, I think we have an outstanding opportunity as far as hunting and, and getting in on solid bucks. Um, if you're looking for a 180 to 190 inch deer, you can find that in almost any mountainous unit. Um, those early season above timberline hunts are, they're very romanticized, but they're, those bucks are there. You know, yeah. there's good bucks up in the high country as well as down low. Um, one of the units, one of my favorite units to hunt, I can hunt anywhere from, I don't hunt at 14,000, but there's 14,000 foot peaks all the way down to under 6,000 feet, you know, where alfalfa fields and, um, you know, juniper and, and pinion and all the way up to above timberline. So it's really cool that you have these vast areas. Um, some of these units, they're not, they're not gigantic units, but they cover, you know, a great difference in terrain so you can hunt different deer and hunt different styles so some people aren't built to glass all day and to hunt high country you know they can go down and hunt in some of the aspens and the and you know the to hunt some of those timber bucks and hunt later in the archery season and and uh and have success in the same units that you might have other guys hunting above timberline so um i think colorado is a great overall state for mule deer um I, I don't know that I would call it, I don't know that it has the best unit for mule deer, but overall, I think just almost anywhere you want to go, almost any unit you pick out, if you do your homework, you can find good bucks. Yeah. It's a, it, I think it's a must apply for state for a, any serious mule deer hunter, in my opinion. I, I agree. I think if, if you're, if you're an out of state hunter, you need to be building points for Colorado. Yeah. Now explain, I know in Colorado, um, there are now, and, and the bulk of this conversation is going to consist of everything West of like I 25, right? Correct. We're talking yeah, the once, Rocky once mountain get, range as opposed to we're the, talking about public land, high country or mountainous. Yep. Um, once you get out in the Eastern plains, I mean, the private the seasons land. are different dates. Most of that property that you're going to be chasing muleys on, or even whitetails for that matter, because we have some great whitetail hunting in the plains, most of that country is private land, and you're either going to have to go through an outfitter or know somebody that has private land or do some knocking on doors. There are some small um, public 
opportunities in in some areas, but you really have to do your research and it's um, it's definitely more of one of those that's not it's not a uh, it's not one of those hunts that you're going to be seeing a ton of big bucks or a ton of deer on if you're right. out on the eastern plains on public land. But okay. you go like you said west of of I-25, you get in the mountains um, and public land holds some great deer. So. Now I. I know my perception of Colorado deer is, you know, maybe 80% of the, the units in those mountain ranges are relatively easy to draw, meaning maybe three to five points or less. And then yeah, for, there's maybe the top, yes. yeah, for the out-of-stater. And then there's maybe the top, you know, 10 or 20% of the units that are kind of um, these, these upper level, um, hard to draw, but supposed to be better hunts. Just talk briefly about your perception of, of those those units and maybe, you know, if a guy wants to aspire to that and that's just the type of guy he is, he just wants to hunt, you know, for the biggest bucks in Colorado, maybe your top three choices for those type of tags. Okay. So there's, well, it's hard for me to say that because Robbie on one of your podcasts, the one that you did at the expo made a great point. You know, it's going to take 20 years to draw those. And who knows in 20 years if that's the unit that's going to be hot, you know, but, you know, people are always talking about the, some of those units up around rifle and, and Craig and up on the flat tops and things like that. And there's some great country up there and they've been producing big bucks up there, you know, around Meeker or things like that for years. But if you're going to aspire to hit one of those units, I would say start building your points now, you know, expect to have to wait 20 years to get into that realm of those high-end units. Um, but at that point, then start looking to see which units you want to be in. Um, and Colorado has this funny thing that they started doing a few years ago called the hybrid units. And it's any unit, I believe it's more than, if it takes more than five points, preference points to draw, then they have a small percent, and I don't remember offhand what that percentage is, but a small percent of those tags go to anybody that has three preference points or more. And then the rest of those tags go to people at the top end of the preference points. And so is that, what what percentage of hunts are you talking that that, that applies to? Well, it's it's probably going to be, like you said, in that 20%. Okay. Um, it's it's going to be any hunt that takes more than five preference points to draw. I see. Okay. Um, so, so on those hunts, they have the hybrid draw, which... You know, they, they're giving out tags to people with less preference points. Um, partially, I think, in, a, in a, lot of, a lot of reason I think they started doing it was because some of those units were taking 20 and um, yeah. 22 years to draw. You know, and people were just kind of getting frustrated with it. And that was, I think, Colorado trying to say, hey, let's get people, you know, keep them excited about these units and yeah. offer a couple tags every year, you know, to somebody and i and utah does a similar thing you know with their tags but um yeah utah's as as, utah's 50 50 um oh is it 50 50 see colorado's not 50 50 and i don't remember the percentage on that on those hybrid draws but um yeah but you, you can draw some of those tags with lesser points but i think in reality you've got to kind of keep in your mind that hey i'm gonna have to be putting in for 20 years to get one of those high-end units if we want to call them that right um the unit I hunt um, has produced in the last few years multiple bucks over 220. Um, there was a buck in this unit um, 
what, two, three years ago, that was 250, um, mm-hmm. taking opening day of archery season. So, you know, there's, and, and this unit's not a hard unit to draw. It's a unit I try to hunt every couple years at, at least. So, and so that's, that's kind of, you know, I, I think what you're getting at and kind of the, the feeling of Colorado, um, is, you know, yeah, there's, there's these, these upper level permits that might, t- you know, if you're, if you're that guy or, or maybe you already have, you know, 15, 18, 19 points or something for deer in Colorado. And maybe that's, you know, you're, you're to the point where it's, that's what you need to go after. But, um, is there any better, is there any better state for better quality deer in more units for less points? Do you think than Colorado? I don't think so. I mean, you you can look at Idaho and say there's opportunity to hunt every single year because you can get over the counter tags, but the number of deer that you're going to see out here in Colorado and the number of mature deer that you're going to see in Colorado, I think is going to, is going to be greater than any other Western state that I've ever hunted. Yeah. Um, and you know, and like I said, it's, it's every unit that has these deer, um, you know, and so if, if I were an out of state or looking at hunting Colorado, I would make a plan that, Hey, I want to hunt Colorado every three to five years. I'm going to find another state to hunt every year and I'm going to get a, a few bonus points and I'm going to hunt some of these units that take a couple points to draw, um, and get in there and hunt and have good hunts every three to five years. And that's, you know, to me as an out of state or looking at Colorado, that's a, that's a expectation that I think is, is that you can have and you can have a solid hunt every three to five years. Well, the, the other thing that, you know, Idaho doesn't have, um, if this matters to guys is, you know, there's really not anywhere else that I know of that you can find as many places that have that just kind of that romantic, like, especially for the early season archery guys, that romantic or even muzzleloader Colorado has quite a few, you know, relatively early season, September 8th through the 16th or something like that. Um, yeah, it's pretty early this year. You're right. High country. But, but I mean like that, that open basin willow patch, just like a bow hunters, a mule deer bow hunters dream type, type of country. You know, you just can't get that. Uh, Wyoming seems to be a little bit more, you know, close to that, a little bit more, um, jagged country, you know, where there, it doesn't fan out with those big basins like Colorado does. It's just, it's one of a kind, I think. It definitely is. And the thing about Colorado, I mean, you know, I talk to people all the time about like how far is too far and, you know, how far in do you want to go and things like that. And now with the way things are in Colorado, the number of hikers and mountain bikers, and I mean, some of the best areas to hunt are, you know, three, four miles in, and you're going to have bikers and hikers going through all day long. You know, these, these mule deer will get used to it. You know, and they, they'll still, they won't hang out right by the trail. Although having, now that I say that, I can even think of some times that I've seen, you know, muleys lay down in some willows and have hikers walk right by and they just turn their heads and watch them, you know, <laughs> hikers never saw them. So, um, but for the most part, they will be those trails for the most part run up the bottom of the draws and the basins and these mule deer will hang up on the sides and up towards the top edges. So would that be your, your general strategy if you were backcountry? early season backcountry mule deer hunter in Colorado, you would maybe find though whatever unit, regardless of the unit that you're, that you're looking at hunting, if it's anywhere along that kind of that continental divide, um, do you maybe pick 
pick up a map or, or find a program that's got the, the main trails that the hikers are using and then look for the little side basins and the side canyons yeah. that don't have any of that going through them. Yeah. I think that's the best way to do it. I mean, you know, there's some, that the Colorado trail runs the entire state and it goes through some of the best mule deer country there is. And, and you get up off of the trail one or two basins over and you might not see anybody for a week. Um, you know, so it's, I think that's a great way to look at it. Um, I also think there's a lot of, of country that's overlooked because it's so close to the trailhead or so close to the road and people are always thinking, Oh, I got to get, I got to get further back and further back. So I would say, don't overlook the stuff that's close. And I mean, there's, I've seen some, you know, monster bucks from the highway, you know, up in those basins, I just pull over and start glassing and, you know, it it would take you an hour and a half to get up there, Mm -hmm. but right from the highway where you have guys, you know, parking there and they're hiking right past those bucks going in, you know, four or five miles to set up camp. So, you know, you just got to find some country that you like and, and put in the time to, to glass. If, if you're going to hunt that first week of season, I would always, you know, I'd suggest to get here a couple of days early if you can't make a scouting trip, but ideally if you can make a scouting trip, you know, end of July or beginning of August, kind of nail down where there's some bucks in some of these basins, it'll give you a great head start to the season. Yeah. So we, we've mentioned the, uh, the archery, um, which I think opens around the 26th this year and goes, does it, does it go the whole entire month of September or just most of no, it? No, it goes, so it goes four weeks. It, it okay. starts the very last Saturday, um, of August and then it goes for four weeks and a day. So you get a hunt, you know, for four weeks and then Sunday. Right. So. And one important thing to realize in there, if you're a, a, you know, if you're strictly an archery hunter that we ran into this last year, we had other hunts, um, kind of pile up and we couldn't get into Colorado on our archery tag until September. Well, the muzzleloader hunters, a lot of times, whether it's deer or elk, the, the muzzleloader hunters will be showing up in your unit around that, you know, six, seventh, eighth, and then hunting through the you know, the 16th or whatever. And so you're just bumping shoulders with those guys. They get 10 days. Okay. Yeah. So just, just something to be aware of. Do you know, um, and I should know this because I literally hunted there last year and we had a little bit of orange, but do you have to wear orange if there's a muzzleloader hunt going on? If you're an archery guy, if you're, if you're archery hunting, you do not have to wear orange. Okay, good. Cause we didn't, if you're hunting with a muzzleloader, (laughs) right. Um, you know, and the other thing, we talk about the muzzleloader hunts, but in some of these units, there's actually what they, they have a early season, which happens the week before muzzleloader. They have some early season rifle, high country mule yeah. deer tags. Talk about the quality um, of those. Well, and they're, you know, my buddy drew that tag. It took him 13 years as a resident to draw one of those tags. He drew it two years ago. And we... Lost you again, Matt. You there? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, that's so weird. Yeah, you uh, you cut off. You what? How how did it go? You what? So, we uh, we busted our butts, you know, looking for a, a buck before season. Spent probably three solid weeks scouting, and never could turn up a two hundred inch deer. Um, we found some one nineties. Uh, we found some cool bucks that had drop tines and a couple little non typicals, and he ended up taking a nice buck, his biggest buck to date. Um, and he, he ended up missing a, a stud opening, I guess it was opening day, um, that we had, he was kind of our number one buck that we had scouted. Um, but it's, it's a great, it's a fun hunt. Um, but it's, again, it's one of those hunts that you're going to have to be 
willing to put in, you know, for 13, 14 years to draw those hunts. And most of those hunts take place, um, depending on the unit, some of them say above timberline and some of those units say above 10,000 feet. Right. So we were hunting like 12 to 12, five for the most part. So the, these ones that hunt. I these ones that I see on Go Hunt though that are like non-resident and I can pick them up with you know zero or one point or whatever probably probably too good to be true huh? or what? Well, I think if you do your homework, I think you can get in there and find some decent bucks. But I would say the first thing you want to do is is you you make a list of those units that you can get for zero or one point as a non-resident, and then you're going to go in and you're going to look at the terrain. Um, you know, because if it doesn't have the right terrain, if it doesn't have some bowls that have willow in it, um, you know, if it doesn't have, you know, if it's all farmland and all private and stuff like that, you're going to have a hard time getting on, you know, yeah. those those properties. So it, do a little homework from not only the number of points it's going to take to draw, but you also want to look at your accessibility and the habitat that's there. Some of those units are migration units. So you could probably draw that unit with, zero to one points for archery and you're not going to see very many deer but if you were there in second third fourth rifle season you might see that migration come through and see an absolute ton of animals right okay um before i ask about those those second third fourth rifles um real quick just touch on the muzzleloader because i know the muzzleloader requirements are a little different than say utah um, talk about the, the restrictions, I should say, on the muzzleloaders in Colorado. Um, the muzzleloader hunts in Colorado have, um, you know, you're not allowed to use a scope. And that's probably the biggest, um, you know, with the, with the muzzleloaders for, you know, the biggest drawback to Colorado. Because that's going to reduce your efficiency, you know, depending on how much you shoot and what kind of, you know, a muzzleloader you're going to shoot, it's going to bring you from anywhere from 100 to 200 yards, you right. know, open sights. I mean, if you put in the time and effort, I think you can get pretty proficient, you know, out to 200 yards. And there's, I know, um, was it you and Corey did a muzzleloader mm -hmm. um, yeah. podcast? And I know you guys talked about it a little bit and you can get proficient out there quite a ways. But I mean, for the most part, the general everyday hunter, if he's going muzzleloader hunting, you're going to have to expect 100 to 150 yard shots. Yep. And correct me if I'm wrong, they uh, won't allow no sabbated bullets, meaning you have to, you know, it has to butt up right against the, the wall right. of the, uh, of the, of the bore. So like a power belt uh, would be an example of an acceptable uh, bullet in, in Colorado. Yeah. And I, I know that's the law. I couldn't tell you anything more than that. I've never muzzleloader hunt. I've never shot a muzzleloader. Right. That's one of those things that's on my list. And, and, if you do shoot a muzzleloader, there are some great opportunities in Colorado. Um, there's some outstanding units that you can draw, you know, every year or two years and, and have some opportunities. See, and I'm, I'm okay with the open sides and I'm okay with the non-sabbated bullets. For me, it's the timing. Like anybody that's a, a diehard elk hunter, like no way am I going to pick up a muzzleloader and go chase deer around from September 8th to the 16th or whatever, it's just right. not going to happen. So right. I wish they'd, I'd, I'd be okay if they moved it back a couple of weeks, but it, you know, to see, use. you could just be, you could just be die hard and you could hunt some of these units where 
it's an over-the-counter archery hunt. There you go. And you draw that muzzleloader tag for deer, and then you just pack your bow and your backpack with you. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I've pack, I've been on hunts where you pack multiple weapons, and it never ends well. <laughs> right. Right. You end up you end up yeah. dropping down to chase a bull and look up, and there's a big buck up on top. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or one never leaves your camp, and I don't know. It just never. Just focus on. I'm not on that. I can't even get it done with one weapon. So. Right. I I'm with you. If you're going out of state focus on you know one weapon one animal (laughs) you know and that that brings up a good point today we were looking at a unit for deer and we realized oh that's nice you know we can pick up an over-the-counter elk tag and and even that with the same weapon we we could even pick up an over-the-counter bear tag and they do a really good job of aligning all those dates you know the yeah if you're there for the second rifle for example the 20th through the 28th the elk over the counter second rifles the same exact season and the bear over the counter has an option to hunt that 20th through the 28th so you can you know really easy to have plenty of opportunity for over the counter options in Colorado um if you're just a guy who wants to go into the backcountry and just put something down and have a, a hunt you know an opportunist type of a hunt um, yeah. But yeah, if you're, you know, if you're trying to put down the, one of these 190 bucks we're talking, I would highly suggest that you, you just, you know, worry about the elk and the, and the bears another time, but. Right. And that's, that's exactly right. If you're, if you're looking for that trophy, um, when we say trophy, you know, if you're looking for a 180 plus deer, then I would not have an elk tag or a, or a bear tag in my pocket unless funds aren't an issue. <laughs> right. You know, for me, it's, you know, it, it, it always is an issue. So. Um, but if, if you're just looking to enjoy a hunt, go out and have fun, take your buddies and go out and hunt and you have the money. Yeah. Grab everything you can. Cause I guarantee if you don't pick up an elk tag, you're going to see a 300 inch bull. Right. You know, if you don't have a bear tag, you're going to have one come walking right by you one day when you're eating lunch. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, okay, let's jump in, uh, this, this, the, the, the three kind of three main rifle hunts. I know there's that early season, but the one that most guys will refer to the second, the third or the fourth and talk real quick about that second rifle that I think this year's the 20th through the 28th of October and kind of, um, you know, th- this is a tough one. Um, for me, you know, I've heard guys like Jason Carter say you just the month of October, you basically, you know, and, and Robbie Denning, it's just, it's just tough. You know, it's tough to, to even with a rifle, um, but g- give your perception on that and kind of, kind of how you would attack that second rifle hunt. Oh, that second rifle hunt's going to be very weather dependent for elk for deer though. There's some great areas that you can catch that migration. So what I've found in our area, um, of the state, um, and I think for the most part throughout Colorado, what happens with these deer is they're triggered by, um, the time of year. So they migrate within a few days of each other year after year. Um, whereas the elk migration, their elk are more pushed by the snow. Um, so once the snow comes in and starts, you know, covering everything up, they start moving down. Now, if it gets late enough and, and cold enough and all the food has died off and they're not getting the food sources that they need up high, they'll move down. But right. for the most part, those elk don't move unless the snow pushes them out. Um, so that second season for elk can be tough. Um, for the most part, the rut is pretty much completely over. You might get a random bugle here or there. Um, but the cows have kind of shut up and, um, 
if you see a bull with a cow, it's usually a smaller bull. Um, you know, the bigger bulls have kind of broke off and, and kind of doing their own thing. Um, so that one's a tough hunt. I, uh, I don't encourage it if you're looking for elk. Um, you know, the first season is a better option. Um, but, you know, I, I say that and guys kill big bulls every year, second season. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but I would say if you're, if you're going to hunt second season for elk, plan on hunting high unless um, snows have moved in and started moving the elk down. Um, yeah, and so on, on those bulls, those correct me if I'm wrong, but those bulls are probably, you know, the the ruts basically winding down, and those bulls at that time of year are they're depleted. They've just gone through, you know, a month and a half or two months of just, you know, just going nonstop. They're fighting. They're trying to ch- catch up with cows. They're just trying to go into survival mode at that point. Um, they're trying yeah. to get away from everything and everyone. They're trying to find probably the most secluded, uh, <clears throat> relatively thick-timbered um, basin that's you know up as back or as deep or as high as they can still get with the snow, or maybe there's not snow. Um, and then they're just you know, are are they typically going to start bacheloring back up by then? You think? Well, that early, a lot of times they're still by themselves. Yeah. Um, a lot of times they'll they're like you said they're going to find some dark timber somewhere where there's some still some growth you know that they can feed upon something that has water and multiple escape routes and they're just going to sit tight in there unless they're pushed out. Yeah. Maybe, um, maybe still picking up a, a second cycle cow that late, you know, or, or maybe ripping off a bugle here and there, but it, basically on the tail end of that all taking place. Yeah. You might find some, but I, I can tell you having hunted first season with my boys the last few years after opening day, you don't hear much (laughs) once those gunshots start popping, you know, and those elk start feeling that pressure, they, they learn to go quiet. So if you're, unless you're in a place that's just not getting any pressure, you're going to end up, you know, probably not hearing the elk after opening day of of that first rifle season. So you look at that a week later, um, you know, when it's, when it's second um, rifle, a lot of those elk, you won't hear them at all. Um, It's just one of those, I don't know why, but they just, they shut up completely for the most part. But then the mule deer, um, like you said, that's, that can be kind of a a migration deal. And so are, are there still going to be, you know, the few stragglers, those big, big, maybe big bucks. If a guy, you know, let's say a guy picks up a second rifle tag, um, and just still wants to hunt that high country. Is there a chance that one of those bruisers, uh, is just back behind in a, you know, maybe a thick willow patch or, or maybe not a willow patch, but a, you know, an aspen grove or a thick patch of pine way up high. Yeah. I would, I would say if you're going after an absolute stud, then let the other bucks all migrate out. Cause those big bucks have a tendency to be the last ones that start to migrate out. Yeah. Um, you'll get some, you'll get some one sixties, one seventies. I mean, um, I've had days where I've gone up with the boys hunting elk and we've had, you know, 300 deer walk by us all in a straight line, all going the same way. And, you know, the biggest buck out of the group might be, you know, mid one seventies, low one eighties, but no giants. And I know the giants are around, but they're just, they're not migrating yet. So, um, but you can find some mature bucks and you can find some, I guess what, I guess they'd be good representatives of (laughs) those units, you know, in the one sixty range in that migration. But um, if you're looking for an absolute stud, yeah, I would say still you're going to have to get up and get into those, those Aspen pockets. Um, even, even into some of the lower country, 
um, there's going to be some good bucks, but they're going to be tucked into those um, those oak pockets, and that oak brush in Colorado is tough to hunt. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a it's a booger to try to get in there and and sneak up on a deer. Even even rifle range is tough. So. Um, what is a migration route? It's, it's so tough, um, especially if you're not from the area. I mean, what uh, you know, if you're uh, especially kind of backcountry guy, I mean, what, what are you looking for there uh, to try to hit a migration route or try to find a migration route or? Um, well, is- the biggest, the biggest thing is to, to locate your major rivers, um, you know, your, your major drainages and those animals will go down those drainages, but they're not going to be right in the bottom. You know, they might be three, 400 yards up the hillsides side hill. and they might be going in and yeah, side hill and, but they're going to be going, you know, in and out of every single one of those little, um, those little draws that are coming into that main canyon. Um, you know, so you don't want to be right down, you know, in the bottom of that drainage. You want to find a little side canyon where you can watch down towards the bottom and be up high. Um, and But you've got to make sure, and usually you can see those trails with your naked eye or with binoculars when you're glassing. They'll kind of snake across the, you know, like – they'll almost, they'll intertwine and then there'll be three or four and then they come back together and then just, you right. know, cause they're, they're not taking the same exact route every year, but pretty much probably taking the same, you know, three or four routes across that ridge every year, you know? Yeah, they are. And the one thing I will tell people, if you want to hunt the migration or if you, if you find yourself in the migration, be ready, no matter what time of day it is, because you'll be sitting there <laughs> and, and it'll be do 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 small buck, do 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 small buck. And you'll, you know, you'll put your gun down and you'll, you'll pull out your drink and be eating a sandwich and look up and that big, you know, one eighties coming across. So that, that reminds me of the, the famous Mark Smith taking a nap, wake up, kill a buck story. Yeah. <laughs> if you've yeah. never sat in his seminars, you got to ask him about that <laughs> next yeah, time uh, someone sees him, but. Okay. So talk, um, so we talked to the second rifle, um, and kind of that migration and, um, maybe, and, and maybe to recap that would, would you, I, I know that those later season hunts are tempting, you know, that we're going to talk third rifle and fourth rifle, but would you say that second rifle is maybe the wild card or would you say more the fourth rifle later in November is the wild card? I would say that if you're, if you're wanting to find a hunt that you could hunt, um, more often and, so let's say you want to hunt Colorado every other year or every third year, and you're going to hunt the same area. And I would say that second season catching the migration might be your best bet. Yeah. Um, if you're willing to say, you know what, I'm only going to hunt Colorado every fifth or seventh year, something in that range. And I want to see some 180 to 200 inch deer and you want to hunt with a rifle, then you want to be holding out for that fourth season. But again, you're going to have to be putting out more points. You know, and and the longer that I do this, um, as tempting as those fourth rifles are, if they're that much harder to draw, I've just learned the value. I'm starting to learn the value of frequently hunting. I almost don't care what unit it is, especially when you're talking a quality state like Colorado. The quality of, or the, the value of hunting more often in the same unit, you know, back to back or every other year back to back. Um, you know, three, four, five times in a row is when uh, yes. guys really start figuring deer and, you know, movements out and where those migration routes are and where those big bucks maybe hang up. 
Um, man, you know, the season dates aren't as sexy, but you, I think no, guy could do a lot of damage there. Yeah, you can. And you're going to, in that 10 year period, you're going to have opportunity at more mature deer, I think, than you would in, you know, drawing maybe a single four season tag. Yep. Now you might have that once in a lifetime buck come through on that, that four season tag. Um, you know, we had a stud running around last year that my son was after and just couldn't get it done because he only had one day to hunt because of football and and uh, his school and stuff like that. But, you know, he still killed a nice buck that four season. But I had the four season tag this year and I didn't see anything. I mean, when I say I didn't see anything, I passed up some 170 bucks and, you know, I passed up some mature deer. But I was holding out because of that, you know, having that four season tag. I wanted, you know, something that really got my attention. And I'm not a score guy, but I need something either extra special, you know, really super deep forks, heavy mass, you know, drop tines, bunch of stickers, something, you know, yep. to, to make it click. And I just didn't see it this year. So, right. um, so I didn't fill that tag this year, but you know, for the most part, yeah, I would say second season is probably the best bet. If you want to continually hunt an area and you want to, you know, have the opportunity at mature deer, um, then yeah, if, if you're going to hunt that second season, you have the best opportunity hmm. of the rifle seasons anyways. Right. Um, so third rifle, when does that third, I'm not as familiar with the dates on that. When does that third rifle open and close? Do you know? Well, the way, the way Colorado works. So that first rifle, um, or that, that second rifle season, which is the first deer season, um, for a rifle, um, starts on a Saturday, runs a full nine days and closes on a Sunday. Right. And then there's five days off. So there's no hunting for the next five days. And then that next Saturday is when that third season opens. And again, it runs for nine days. So it'd be about um, the so you get two fourth. Weekends. Yeah. It's usually right in there. Um, it's usually the last part of October, first part of, um, November. So we're talking, so, Oh, so if it's the, the second rifle ends the 28th, we're talking five day gap and maybe the third yeah, or so, Third or fourth yep. through the around the twelfth, maybe we're ballparking. Yes. Okay. A um, little bit tougher, you know. Just and I'm just generalizing here from what I've researched, but a little bit more difficult to draw that than the than the second uh, rifle. And just kind of talk about why that would be and what type of hunt guys could expect there. Well, I think I think in a lot of areas um, in the state of Colorado, there's not always a fourth season, so not every unit has that fourth rifle season. So in a lot of units, that's the last season. And I think especially the further north you go, um, some of those bucks are already starting to rut, especially towards the end of that third season. Um, and so whenever you start talking about rut activity, you start about you start talking about bucks getting stupid, you know, <laughs> chasing does, coming out, you know, in the daylight rather than just the first, you know, half hour and last half hour of the day. You know, I've, I've killed some – some of my best bucks have been killed, you know, between – Oh, I guess probably 1130 in the morning and 115 in the afternoon, you know, because they were just out changing locations, looking for a doe or pushing a doe or whatever. Um, so it gives you it gives you more of an opportunity to have those encounters with those big bucks. Um, and so I think that's why it's a little more popular than second season. I will tell you that oftentimes um, we get an Indian summer and that third season is hot be 80 degrees <laughs> you know and it's a and it's not fun to hunt um and then we can also get a snowstorm that could come through and it could be a blast to hunt so 
Yeah, um, you know, the, and, and a good example that was last year. I mean, I was uh, I drew a two B New Mexico tag, which runs roughly over those dates. It was like the fourth through the eighth, and you know we're a lot lower over there in New Mexico across the border, but I could see the peaks north in Colorado. And mm-hmm. we didn't, there was not a flake of snow that we could see until the very last day of, of that hunt, a snowstorm hit, you know, which if you had been hunting anywhere along that, you know, other side of the, in the other state, it'd probably be pretty good for that third rifle. You know, things would have started picking up, but where we were in New Mexico, any buck that was planning to make his way, uh, you know, towards, towards New Mexico hadn't done it yet. It was just. You know, if, if it was yeah. anything that was dependent on weather wasn't, wasn't coming yet, at least not, yeah. not that we could find, but. Well, and that, that part, that unit, that 2B, um, those deer migrate to a lower area of Colorado and then the snow pushes them into 2B. Um, gotcha. and that's one reason our herd is so healthy in this area in Gunnison, those deer migrate and they hit a lower elevation and they can't go anywhere else. Of around like what, six or 7,000 feet probably. Right. Yep. Yeah, and they can't go anywhere else. So if it dumps, they or they're stuck. But here, you know where I'm at, and if it, you know, they migrate down to seven thousand feet, and it's snowing, and there's two foot of snow on the ground, they just keep moving south. Yeah. <laughs> you know, going to New Mexico and just keep moving. So. And then one or two of them gets picked off by Duggar down there every every right, couple of years, probably. <laughs> Jeremy's down there picking off a couple <laughs> big ones, but that's okay. And that late January <laughs> hunt. <laughs> right. Um, okay, so that third rifle, um, you know. Talk, talk about what you've seen as far as weather problems. You know, I doubt guys are going to have too much of a problem on that October, that second rifle hunt, but talk about that third season um, and kind of what they can expect from what you've seen as far as, you know, weather problems and maybe getting stuck or anything like that. Well, that's definitely any of those hunts in Colorado, even in archery, you can have a snowstorm come through. Um, I think it was two years ago, opening weekend of archery, we had, you know, three inches up, up at 12,000 feet, you know, so you have to be prepared any season, but that third season, we can get some monster snowstorms that come through to where overnight you're getting, you know, eight to 12 inches of snow where your tents are collapsing. And, you know, so it, it's one of those that you want to be prepared for, for something big, um, to come through a big storm like that. Now, Having said that, like you, like we said last year, it was we didn't get any snow until that last day. So, um, but it's it's one of those that you want to be prepared because it can come, and when it comes, it comes quickly, and and it's heavy, and it's wet snow, and it's hard to hike in, and everything's, you know, the the logs are covered in snow, and you can't see the logs, and you end up spending a lot of time getting up off your knees in those snowstorms. So the, the backcountry hunter in on that third rifle um, is probably needs to be down in the that mid to lower lower country depending on the weather a little bit but it's not you're, you're probably moved past like we were talking in that second rifle where a guy could maybe pick a buck off way up high at you know ten thousand feet um, yeah it, it's probably you're past just that. not gonna see much up high yeah you you need to be in that eight to nine thousand foot range maybe up to ten but you know, especially once the snow comes, those big bucks are going to get pushed down. And um, yeah, and, and frank, of frankly, if, start feeling the rut. Yeah, and frankly, if you do go up that high on that on that third rifle season, you better know what you're doing. Uh, if you're at ten thousand yeah. feet on November twelfth, 
Yes, that's so, for sure. Yeah, you might catch an occasional big bull or big buck up there, but for the most part, I think by that, by by the first part of November, I think if you're above ten thousand feet, you're missing the majority of the animals. Okay. Um, so maybe that's six, five to six, up to maybe seven or eight thousand range, maybe nine thousand. Yeah, and even even that nine thousand foot, I think you're still going to get quite a few animals, especially the elk. Um, okay. Yeah, those elk. And the deer. Man. Those elk, those elk, I've seen them at least in Utah. I've seen them belly deep in snow and and moving up higher on the ridge. Yeah. Um, they just seem no, to no. not care about it as much. But well, and they browse. You know, they're browsers, whereas muleys are more of grazers. Not and mule deer will still browse, but I mean, those elk will eat, you know, twigs off of trees and they'll eat the bark off of trees. You know, so it's they're a little more hardy and they got those longer legs, so <laughs> they yeah. do a little better in that snow. Okay, uh, that f- um, fourth rifle, which is, is that follow the same pat- date pattern, like a five-day break? No, so what happens is that um, third rifle season ends on a Sunday, and then Monday and Tuesday there's no hunting, but that fourth season opens up on Wednesday and goes to the next Sunday. So we're talking like maybe the 14th through like the 18th, or is it a little yeah. longer than that? No, it's it's just five days, so. Okay. You're, you're, you got a five day hunt at the end and, um, you know, most, most of the time that fourth season is going to involve, you know, rutting mule deer. Um, yeah, that's about, this year, that's about the, this the, year the heat was, of it right there. Yeah. I mean, that's the best that you're going to get here in Colorado unless right. you're hunting the Eastern Plains. But, um, for the most part, you know, if you're hunting the mountain muleys, um, you're going to be that fourth season, especially the last two days of that fourth season. It just seems like, like those deer light up. Um, this year it happened to be the very last day, but <laughs> for me anyways, that I, I finally saw the, the bucks where they were really rutting and pushing does. And, um, you know, for the most part, the bucks I saw earlier in the season weren't too interested. I mean, they, they'd lip curl maybe a little bit here and there, but they weren't pushing does. They weren't breeding does, you know, they were still even bucks bachelored up, right. um, this year, but, and every year is different. You know, you try to play the moon phase and you try to play the weather and you try to play the, the dates. And, you know, last year, the deer were just going nuts towards the end of third season and all through four season. But this year, you know, it was that last day of four season before I saw anything, any running activity that got me excited. So do you, do you think the variability with that fourth season is honestly worth the, you know, how, how many more points let, let's just, I mean, just generalize a unit. If let's say that a certain unit takes one point to draw that second rifle, how many points would you expect the third and the fourth rifle to take? That's a good, good question. So let's, let's take a unit that takes one point to draw archery, probably one point to draw muzzleloader. You're probably going to be looking at one to two points for second season. Um, you get into third, probably two to three. But then you jump into that four season, you could be six or seven points. Do you think it's worth it relative to the variability of the weather and the shorter season date and the you know the snow and and just everything there? It's it's tough for me to say that it's worth it. Um, I think it gives people the best opportunity to kill a big buck. So if they are looking, you know, for the opportunity and they're saying, "Hey, I'm going to save up. I'm going to hunt other states." I'm only going to hunt Colorado twice in my life, then yes, four season is the way to go. Um, at that point though, if you have the money, you might talk to a guide or you might, you know, try to get access on, on some private land or something like that. 
to where you're increasing your odds if you've got issues with the weather. Um, I've never taken a guided hunt. I have no issues with people taking guided hunts, but you know, when you're hunting an area that you don't know or you're not familiar with, sometimes that's the best way to go. One thing I will say, and I know Robbie talked about this again in, in that podcast, but you need to be hunting deer every year. So don't just be putting in for Colorado and saying, Hey, in 12 years, I'm going to, I'm going to kill a big buck, you know, and not hunt. Cause you still need to be familiar with that, with that animal and with the species and what it does. And, you know, if you bump it, where is it going to run? You know, you need to be familiar with it. Um, and the other thing I would say is if you're getting close to drawing, it might not be a bad idea to take a week off a, a year or two before you draw that tag and go out and just be out there and just say, okay, I'm in the unit. Where are the deer at? You know, obviously the weather can be different in two years, but at least you'll have an idea of, of where to go and, and how things are going to play out during that short five day season you have that you've been waiting, you know, 10 years for. So, right. Um, I, I want to come back around and talk about hunting deer every year, especially relative to the second choice option in Colorado, but real quick, um, especially relative to that fourth season and maybe even these other, you know, the third rifle or whatever, talk about the problems that guys can run into those later hunts in the year with deer pushing or even elk pushing down out of the peaks and heading for private land. Yeah. I drew a second seat or a second choice hunt. Um, I guess it was last year and it was a four season tag as a second choice. Um, but it's an area that the elevation is pretty much 7,000 feet and up and all the deer migrate out of there. I mean, I had a hard time finding deer and the few deer I found, the few bucks I found were not bucks that I was going to hang my tag on. You know, there was some, I found one buck that was a 160, you know, four by three, you know, a good buck, but just not what I wanted to put my tag on. And, and I only hunted a couple of days because that was the same year. My son had a four season tag in another unit, which had low elevation public land. So, so that's something that you have to be aware of. You need to know your units, you know, yes, there might be a four season tag that you can draw as a second choice. And then that may get you really excited, <laughs> but you may be on the worst hunt of your life. You know, yeah. you could be in some of the best mule deer country and not see a buck. So. Yeah. If there's, if, the, and I'm just, I'm just talking generally here and I don't have anything in mind, but if there's a unit that, you know, the second season takes two points as a non-resident and then the fourth season is zero points or something like that. Um, and they're killing, you know, a 90% success rate or something crazy. Um, so, something's going on there. You know, they're, yeah. they're probably, you know, and 50% of the unit is, is private land or whatever they're they're more than likely they're pushing down and some outfitters you know got a good thing going and knocking down deer with his clients that way so which is like yeah. you said is fine you just kind of got to know that but. well we've got a unit down here by us that's that way and in that fourth season it's not an easy tag to draw i mean it's still i think it takes a point or two but it's like 98 percent private land yeah. so you know your access is like you've got like two percent of the land that you can hunt and if you've got you know, 12 guys that are all have the same idea as you. I'm going to hunt that little piece of public, you know, it can be tough hunting. So. <laughs> okay. So let's, let's circle back to that. I mentioned that second choice, which is something pretty unique to Colorado right now. Um, talk about how guys can use that and what the benefits are and, and building points and stuff like that. Uh, the second choice is, is, is a solid way to get a tag. 
unfortunately people are figuring that out and i've seen the second choices especially around here disappear completely um to where you are pretty much not going to draw a second choice tag so you have to do your research and you have to be willing to hunt areas that might not be the area you want to hunt um you know for even me in state i've got to drive about four or five hours to hit some of those second choice tags um you know just because they're people are picking up on that and they yeah. want to have a tag in their pocket so yeah and 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 the appeal to it is two things one you get to hunt mule deer every year and two um you you keep your bonus you still gain a bonus point if you draw your second choice um right. and so not that that's not smart depending on the type of hunter that you are but here's my here's kind of my um caution or my advice on that and and i i I think is kind of the the game plan that we will deploy. I say that, and we've probably got a second season hunt that we'll try and apply for and not draw. But but basically, the way I see that is like if you're again going back to these guys who are knocking down, you know, mature bucks year after year on even on over the counter hunts. Wouldn't you be better? You think to let's say that the the real unit that you want to hunt in Colorado takes two points. So you're going to draw it every three years. Um, don't you think those other two years in between, rather than picking up a marginal second choice hunt in Colorado, you might be better to just go get a, an, which, which are going away. Like you mentioned, um, you know, they, they may not be around long anyway, but like, what if a guy went to Idaho on an over the counter the two years in between, and then, you know, you're still hunting the same unit every year, every three years in Colorado. So you're starting to learn that unit, but then you're probably getting a little bit better over the counter opportunity up in Idaho that you can consistently hunt all those, those fill in years back to back and then go to Colorado and then back to, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I, and I think that's a, I think that's a great plan and a great idea. I think what it'll, it'll also do for you, you hunt that over the counter in Idaho and some of those units in Idaho are tough. Those are tough hunts. I, yeah. uh, there's one particular unit that I hunted, um, three years in a row, a week, you know, week long hunt. And I saw in three weeks, I saw one mature mule deer and he was probably in the 160 range and everything else I saw was either a three point or a forky and they just, they weren't mature deer. Um, it was a tough hunt. Now, having said that, you're out hunting, you're out learning the animals, you're learning the country. Um, and then when you get a chance to draw your Colorado tag, you know, a unit that, that maybe takes three years and you're seeing, you know, six, seven bucks a day, it really makes you appreciate that tag. Right. Do <laughs> yeah. on, on the flip side, what, what about, do you um, think it would be a good idea? Let, let's say, let's just assume a guy's an archery hunter here. Do you think it would be, you know, if, and, and let's, assume, we're making some assumptions. Let's assume that there's an over the counter elk tag for the same unit that takes two years to draw deer. Um, is that also maybe a, a good option to be that way you're in the same unit that you plan on hunting mule deer for. You can kind of be in there scouting for mule deer while you're hunting elk, even though they don't always hang out at the same elevations, but would that be another option in, in quite a few units in Colorado where you could kind of, you know, do the over the counter elk in the same unit you want to hunt deer maybe. I think especially that second season you can, because you're going to get some migration. So you'd be hunting elk and you can watch these deer migrate through for the rifle. Um, yeah. With the rifle. Gotcha. I think in the third season, you're going to have a pretty big separation. I mean, you're going to still have some elk that are that that live at the lower levels year round, but 
for the most part, if you've got an elk tag in your pocket, you're probably going to be up above where the mule deer now are. Right. Um, at the same time, I say that you might have, you might locate a monster buck that's hanging back, you know, and figure out, Hey, this is where he, you know, hangs out the week before he migrates. So, right. you know, you never know, but well, and, yeah, and, that second season, that wouldn't be a bad idea. And, and, you know, I mean, a lot of those, a lot of those, not all those big bucks head for the highest peak in the country. You know, a lot of those, right. a lot of those big bucks are, uh, you know, they, they got their little pocket there and they're, you know, they're hanging out at 8,400 feet, you know, right where those elk are going to be rutting anyway, like you're saying. And, you know, whether you're there on the archery or the, the, uh, that second rifle, um, you don't have to be up at those higher peaks and you, you might stumble on a, a big boy that's hanging down in that thicker stuff. Who knows? No, I, I completely agree with you. And for people that are familiar with my Instagram page, you know, the, the bucks that I'm posting pictures of in July, August, September, October, I would say, probably 80% of those bucks are in that range, right. you know, that, that seven to 8,000 foot range. Um, so they're, they're there year round. Um, like you said, and, and sometimes you can find a buck and be like, Hey, here's this honey hole. And, and once those bucks rub that velvet off, they drop into some thick cover most of the time, but they don't move far. Right. You know, they go into these little basins and bowls and where they're protected and, they don't have to do much until that yearning to migrate and then rut kicks in. Um, so you aren't, you're not going to see them crossing the big open basin feeding all day long. You know, they're going to be in a tighter spot where, where there's, they've still got good cover and good food and good water. So it's, um, they're a little tougher to find, but they're still there. Yeah. See, that's, I, I'm, I'm the romantic guy that just has to hunt them up in the high country and I'm hiking oh, past yeah. all those bruisers going in. Well, to... and it's, <laughs> it's, it's one of those hunts that if you're after a, you know, 170 to 180 mule deer and you're happy with that and you want to see a bunch of deer and you want to be up, you know, at the crack of dawn looking through glass across the basin and making a game plan on, hey, this buck's going to bed there and this is how I'm going to get in on him. I think it's a great hunt, you know. Yeah. Um, I think it's tougher. I think a lot of the bigger bucks now are not are not up above timberline. You know, they're hanging out down lower. Um, so if you're after a, a giant, I think you're, you know, if you're up above timberline, I think you're, you know. I just don't think the, the giants hang out above timberline anymore. Right. I'll be honest. <laughs> I think you still find some here and there, but I think for the most part, those bucks that are 220, um, you know, and up, I think they're down lower. Those bow hunters nowadays have gotten so proficient and guys backcountry hunting in general has become so popular. And, and I don't say that like there's a guy on every peak back there, but there's definitely more than there was 20 years ago. Um, right. you know, and guys are able to shoot. I mean, geez, I've got pins on my bow out to 120. I don't shoot that far, but I can shoot, you know, 60 or 70 pretty easily. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, 20 years ago, it might've been 45 yards or whatever. It just, things have changed. And so you're probably right. You know, those, those big bucks, you know, those 200 inches that could go up in those high willow basins and, you know, maybe 10 or 20 or 30% of them were getting hunted. Now, you know, maybe 70 or 80% of them are getting hunted and they'll, they'll adapt. It won't take long. Yeah. yeah. Well, even in my lifetime, I've seen, I mean, I went on my first backcountry hunt with my dad when I was probably like 87 when I was like 11 or 12 years old, you know? Um, and I remember back then the number of deer that we saw and not that they weren't, 
skittish and that they wouldn't run, but it just seemed like there were more opportunities, you know, to, to get in close on those animals. And now, you know, I feel like we work harder for those same opportunities that, and, and it's probably the fact that they're, I mean, we would go for 10 days and not see a person anywhere, no hikers, nobody. If we saw anybody, it was a sheep herder and that was it, you know, but now you go in the back country and you might see, you know, 15, 20 hikers go by every day. You might see mountain bikers rolling by, you know, other hunters. It's hard to get to places now where there's nobody because people put out more effort, you know, I mean, you got to get that Instagram yes, pick, you know, you got yeah. you to get back there to get the Instagram pick and, you know, right. somewhere <laughs> there. I heard someone make that, uh, that, uh, comment once. And I, at first I'm like, no, that's crazy. And then I'm like, holy cow, that, that might be right. There's more people in the back country because of Instagram, <laughs> ironically, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think there is, I think, you know, everybody wants that picture of their, you know, of their mega tarp up on a, <laughs> up on a knife ridge, you know, with a big old basin open up and below it, you know, glassing out. it. So it's just, you no know, deer up here, but I'm loving it. You know, this is great. Right, exactly. I got my picture. <laughs> that, was, that was me and Jason last year on our Colorado hunt. There's no deer, but my gosh, we were going to, you know, camp up at 11,000 feet. Cause that's just what we do. <laughs> yeah. Fun. You get up that high and you're going to find basins that don't have any deer. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's that area that we hunted two years ago when we were, when we were scouting, you'd hit one basin and there'd be 12 bucks in it and you, and maybe two does and you go to the next basin and there wouldn't be anything. And the next basin might hold 15 deer, you know, and it's just, you know, and they all looked the same. They all had the same, you know, everything was the similar. There wasn't a reason, but they just weren't in there. Right. So, I want to touch on some of these other species real quick, um, yeah. but but real quick on the deer before we leave this, um, talk about winter kill and and obviously the the winter of 0708 and how you think that's rebounded and then even even last year because I think last year was is worth talking about. Yeah, and I you know winter kill depending on again where the deer are and where they can migrate to will have more of a of an effect on on those herds that can't migrate out of certain areas. So like the Gunnison herd, um, some of the herds up further north, you know, they migrate down to a elevation and they're stuck there. They can't, they're surrounded by mountains, you know, they can't go anywhere else. Um, and when you get those heavy snows, um, especially when it freezes and, and snows and freezes and snows and those deer can't get down to the, you know, to the ground to graze, I think we have a heavy winter kill. Um, now, I don't think it's what Wyoming and Idaho saw like last year. Um, and our, our deer down here, especially in, in the southern part of the state, they can just migrate on down into New Mexico and, you know, just keep going. And I think you're still going to lose some to those heavy snows. Um, but for the most part, I think they just move right on down. Um, but, you know, I think the deer population in Colorado has has done really well over the last you know five to ten years i worry um about chronic wasting disease and what that's going to bring as it you know starts to get more prolific you know throughout the state um but what i worry more about is our elk population because we're starting to lose our elk and everybody talks about colorado having the most elk and i'm not so sure that the state of colorado has more elk than any other state anymore um there are 
you know, especially like in, in our area, they're starting to do some studies. The Divisional Wildlife will be putting in some intro uterine devices so that they can tell when these cows are calving and they can go put collars on these calves because they're having a feeling that the that the calf survival rates pretty low, you know, that the mortality rates up around 90%. Um, and they got to figure out why. Um, mm. There's a lot that goes into that. I mean, we've got a ton of bears. Yeah. Um, you know, and those bears will follow those cows around and, and pull those calves out. I think it was, uh, and, I, and I'm going to butcher the, the actual facts here, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase anyway, but I believe it was Ranella, Steve Ranella, on his podcast, and he was he was talking coyotes, but then he was bringing up the point of why, why people have such a bad rap on coyotes and then got into bears and wondered why we don't have the same opinion about bears, and he used that they the study that they had done with collars he said and they had put cameras on the bear collars where they could actually not just track them but they could see uh excuse me they could see uh what these bears were doing and what they were eating and 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 over like a i don't know it was again i don't remember the exact details but maybe a two-month stretch in the spring during calving season for the elk these bears were hammering on average like an an insane amount of calves like like 30 or 40 i want to say like and, and that might be crazy high and maybe it was just randomly that bear maybe i've got it completely wrong i'd love someone to email me the exact stats on that um but the point and and i you know like you're saying the point is those the bears have a huge impact on those those elk calves uh you know on the deer fawns too but um Talk, I mean, talk about just the uh, Colorado has a pretty, pretty conservative approach against bears. Um, you know, t- talk about the the, the well, bear hunting in Colorado real quick relative to the elk herds. Well, the bear hunting in Colorado kind of gets under my skin because I was raised um, in Colorado um, back in the 80s um, and even the first, I think, year of so 1991. I grew up helping my dad carry bait in, you know, baiting these bears, watching these bears come in, you know, selectively harvesting bears. It was an absolute, the absolute best way to manage bears is through baiting. Um, Colorado then, um, the people of Colorado, I guess I should say, um, wrote some legislation, got enough signatures to get it on the ballot and passed a law that said not only could you no longer bait or use dogs in the state of Colorado, you could not hunt bear until after September 1st. So the earliest the earliest bear season is September 2nd, and that's when they have a draw rifle season. Um, the state of Colorado is more than happy to give out a ton of bear tags. The problem is, is you're hunting them in the, you know, in, in a time when it's not favorable. Yeah. Um, so like they give out um, bear tags right now, I think there's like 600 in the, in the four or five units around here for all the rifle seasons. And there was like 300 left over last year. Um, it's gotten bad enough that the divisional wildlife has talked about the possibility of anybody that buys it. Well, they talked about the possibility of making a combo tag to where there was a deer and elk combo tag. And if you purchased that deer and elk combo tag as a non-resident, you were going to be given a bear tag. <laughs> um, so, so they've gone, they're trying to figure out how to get this population in check 
but because of the legislation that's happened, because we as hunters back in the 90s, early 90s, didn't think there was a, that big of an issue with anti-hunters. But then they passed this legislation, and you can't overturn it. Hands are tied. That's something that for 20, almost 30 years now, we've sat here and tried to figure out how do we, how do we reverse this. And we still haven't figured it out. And we may never figure it out. We may never get that back. Yep. Um, but it's it's gotten to the point where it's affected us. I live at probably 7,000 feet, 6,800, right in that range, um, in town, in a neighborhood. And in the summertime, I can I took my son on a walk this summer, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and we saw three bears in town. You know, it's not uncommon to see them. And it's not just in town. They're, you know, I drove up to 14,000 foot, or well, I was, drove and hiked up there, and we saw bears at 12 and 13,000 feet up there. So it's not just, you know, an overpopulation right around town, and they're all coming in for, you know, trash and garbage. They're, the population is, has exploded, yeah. um, and the state's paying for it now. I mean, our deer, our elk numbers are down dramatically. Now, the deer, I don't think they suffer as much from the bears, but the elk do. The elk are getting... You know, that that's the number one thing. And the number two thing, I think, is the loss of, of winter range. Um, there's a new hospital here in town. And 15 years ago, when I was younger, we used to go out there in the winter and you could count four or five hundred head of elk. But now there's a hospital that sits there. You know, there's no elk there. So, um, you know, where did those four or five hundred head of elk move to to winter? You know, it's and, you know, it's that's a bad thing. And the winter range is being, you know, developed. So. There's a lot that goes into it, um, but yeah, the bear, the bear, are the biggest issue I think right now. Have you noticed? Um, have you noticed any change? You know where those bears aren't being hunted as much and as aggressively. Have you noticed um, any more safety issues? Meaning, like you know, when those when it, when a predator doesn't get hunted consistently, they realize that they're at the top of the food chain, so to speak. Um, you know, it's why we, it's why we have problems with grizzly bears. In my opinion, if, if, if we could fire back every once in a while without, you know, then, then they, they kind of, you know, they, they'll learn real quick. Have you noticed that with black bears in Colorado or do you not think it's to that point yet? Oh no, it's already to that point. They're more aggressive. I've been charged more. Um, there's people here that have been attacked. They break into homes, you know, um, they don't have the same fear no boundaries humans that they used to yep. right yeah now they're they're afraid of cars because they get hit by cars yeah. and run over all the time yeah, cars are still hurting but, them yeah <laughs> well and we did they did a bear study here locally where they for five years they trapped bears they collared the females they tagged the males um and they just tonight you know just to figure out how many bears are here and what are they doing well the first year they expected to catch somewhere around like 25 bears it was it was within a five mile radius of downtown durango that they did this study um and the first year they were expecting to catch somewhere between 20 and 25 mature bears and they caught over 75 <laughs> and the next year that number went up to 125 different bears that they had caught oh and i don't know what the number ended up being at the end of the five-year study but that's 125 different bears within two years that are within five miles of the downtown you know of this town that's got you know 15 to 18,000 people. Um, on the one hand, these anti-hunters or whoever's behind those legislations, you know, they're on the one hand, they're voting that type of stuff in. And then on the other hand, they go for a backcountry hike, quote unquote, and they can't find Fido uh, outside right. of town and they, they can't put two and two together. 
no, they can't. And you know that. I mean, this the sad thing is, I raised my hand at one of these little meetings they were having, kind of giving out the data, and I said, I got a question. How many of those 125 bears were killed by hunters? And they said five, because in the state of Colorado, if you kill a bear, you have to go have it checked. Check you have to it, take yeah. it to the division of wildlife, especially if it's it. got a collar. Yeah, if it's, I mean, well, in the state now, it's just it's required. You Anywhere. kill a bear or a mountain lion, you have to have it checked. So, you take it in, and they give you a little tag that they put on the hide, um, you know, saying that you killed it legitimately. Anyways, so they had five five of those 125 bears were killed by hunters. Um, it was five or six. I can't remember which, but I think it was five. And then I, I said, well, how many bears died total? And they said, well, it, that, that number is closer to 40, maybe, maybe closer to 50. Roadkill? Like, well, well, and that's what I said. I said, well, was it roadkill? And they said, well, we lost 12 bears to roadkill. And I said, well, what happened to the rest, natural? And they said, no, we only lost one to natural causes. Hmm. The rest of them all died. They were all killed by the state. So, oh, really? Now these people who wanted to keep the bear safe are paying, you know, our state, they're paying people for this, you know, the state to go out and kill bears that are, you know, getting in and, houses. And putting families' lives in danger from hitting them on the highways or whatever at night or whenever. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, ironically, like, they, they would rather put people's lives in danger driving on the roads than to just, you know, manage, you know, just properly manage the bear herd. Yeah, definitely. Interesting. Um, okay, so you know, real real quick, and 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 we dove into mule deer, especially in elk, a little bit, and that's great because you know I I know your expertise is mule deer, and so that's really what I wanted to get out of you anyway. But real quick, talk about kind of these. Uh, well, talk talk antelope real quick. Um, just kind of you know, it's it's not. I don't think it's the first thing people think of when they come to hunt Colorado, but talk about the opportunity there and, and what guys could expect. Well, there's, there's actually some great opportunity for antelope for over the counter for archery. Um, especially when you start looking at the Eastern plains, you can hunt antelope every single year. Um, and there's public land that you can find antelope on. Um, the area that I like to hunt antelope, um, is about three hours from me and it takes me about three years to draw the tag in that area. Um, and I archery hunt it because it opens August 15th every year. So that usually gives me a week ahead of, you know, the elk and deer, um, archery season. So, um, it's a fun hunt. I love it. I've never rifle hunted antelope. Um, but what are the season seasons? A blast. What are the season dates? Do you know? For rifle? Yeah. For all of it. For, uh, archery. Um, archery is like September, um, sorry, August 15th and through, September 15th, I believe. So it's, you know, a straight month. And from August 15th till the end of August, you can only shoot a buck. And then from September 1st on, it's buck or doe. Interesting. Um, archery. I don't know the muzzleloader dates. Um, I could probably, I've got a um, proclamation here. I could probably pull it up real quick. But the rifle dates are usually in um, mid-October. Um, and they have some late hunts. Colorado has hunts that go clear into, you know, mid-January with private land doe tags for antelope and deer and, and things like that. So there's, you know, especially for youth in Colorado, there's a ton of opportunities. But So, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not an antelope hunter. I've hunted them a couple times, um, but they rut around the same time as elk, right? Maybe yeah, pretty, pretty similar. September. So, 
Yeah. Uh-huh. So if you're going to archery hunt them early, you're in more spot and stock or water holes. Um, yeah. I prefer the spot and stock method just because it's so much fun. <laughs> um, it's tough, but it's it's a blast. Um, but the uh, if you hunt them, you know, the last week of archery, you know, mid-September, they're going to be rutting, and you can actually do some decoying and, you know, get them in that way. But, okay. Um, we were talking about muzzleloader, so I'll tell you real quick. A lot of these, and these dates are different depending on units, but for the most part, muzzleloader is September 21st through the 29th. So you're still going to hit uh, maybe the tail end of bucks chasing does there? Yeah, you will, for and sure. Then, and then they, rifle. They have multiple rifle seasons, like the deer, or just one? Yeah, and it's, the way they do rifle seasons is very um, unit specific. Okay. So let's just take, um, I'm looking in the proclamations right now so if i take unit number let's take unit three which also includes 301 you've got a date of october 6th through the 12th or you've got a date of september 29th through the 14th of october but that's private land only right you know so when you start looking at antelope you really have to look at the unit you're going to hunt whether it's public or private lands you know because the dates will vary so okay and that's all draw and those those units, for the most part, are tougher to draw. Um, I know that unit that I like to hunt that takes two to three points to draw archery for a resident um, takes like 12 points to draw for rifle. Okay. Um, could a guy expect, what's what's a, and again, I'm, I'm not an, a trophy antelope hunter, but I mean, is an 80-inch goat reasonable in, in Colorado or no? Um. If you're getting access to private lands, I would say yes. It's okay. reasonable. Um, the average, where I the, hunt, the DIY I guy one that's, or two. Yeah, public land DIY guy maybe in the 70s. Yeah. If, you ha- if, you're, if you're saying, hey, I, I want to shoot a 12 to 14-inch goat, you know, in the 70s, whatever, you're going to have opportunities for sure. You start looking at that 15-, 16-inch range, you're probably going to see some. But to get within archery range of those bucks is, you know, again, it's like getting in archery range of a 180 mule deer. It's a lot tougher. Right. So, and um, this th- this might sound weird, but there's there actually is a unit like this in Nevada for antelope where you can actually kind of backpack in because it's like a desert wilderness um, that uh-huh. holds. Is there? Do you know of any backcountry like like something that would be worth you know backpacking in for an antelope hunt in Colorado that's public land? Um, I know of a spot that I backpack into to get around the private land <laughs> gotcha. to hunt onto public land. Kind of, kind of one of those pockets back there that's got a BLM yeah, or something. Yeah, it's a you... pocket, and because of stuff like Onyx Maps, now you can find those places. Yeah. Um, there's no road that goes there, but you can throw a pack on, and you can hike. Um, the areas I hunt, antelope is a really cool area. I can, I have had days where I've sat and glassed antelope mule deer elk bear and bighorn sheep all <laughs> in the same spot That's awesome. um you know just because the that area that i hunt is is higher altitude it's got some plains but it's also got those mountain peaks you know and so it's it was a cool that was a pretty cool day to, to glass all of those from the same spot but um you know that that area you it has a lot of roads so for the most part nobody does it but i've located a buck i thought oh i'd like to get back there how can i get back there the best way to do it was to put my tent, you know, in my backpack and mm-hmm. go around. And I mean, it was only a mile and a half hike, but you know, 
to hike in there, you know, and then hike out every day, it was a lot easier just to pack back in there and stay. So, and, and not definitely not trying to get you to, you know, but like what general elevation is that? I mean, is that out in the plains, like 5,000 feet or is that like, yep. Or like 8,000 feet on some pocket or something like, yeah. So the units I hunt, there's, there's a few units that are, that are pockets like that, that are high plains and it's, you know, eight to 9,000 feet. Hey, uh, the, the Penguins unit in Utah, if anyone's familiar with that, um, it's, it's a, it's a, one of the most unique antelope hunts. And I, and again, I've never hunted it, but I, I just familiar with that unit, that area enough that, you know, you, it's not, it's not unreasonable to say that you could kill an antelope out of a tree stand on the Penguins unit yeah. because you're, you're up in the pines, but they have those, you know, big flat open meadows and the antelope just, they just hang up in there. Um, and so, yeah, it sounds kind of like the same thing. That's cool. Um, okay, real quick, uh, just kind of these trophy species, um, you know, the goats, uh, two sheep, and then moose. Um, am I forgetting anything on those? No, that's, that's it. it. Those, those are the three. Uh, I know on the species, on the sheep you have to choose uh, desert yeah, or you have to choose rocky. Whether you're going to put in for desert or Rocky Mountain. Um, if you put in for desert, it's the only species in the state of Colorado that's a true lottery. Um, there's no preference points for desert bighorn sheep. Interesting. Um, so every year you have the same chance as everybody else that puts in. Which is probably um, less than 1%, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there's any <laughs> any tags in there that are more than 1%. Um, backcountry options for a desert sheep, you think? Yes, for sure. Okay. Oh, definitely. Okay. Yeah, there's some backcountry options for desert sheep, some float options down some of those rivers and then camping or whatever. But um then I, I think the other the other three go without saying the goat and the the Rocky Mountain sheep and the moose. There's definitely backcountry options for those. Oh yeah, for sure. And you know the unit I put in for for all three of those would be backcountry hunts. Um, the one thing I'm not looking forward to is packing out a moose. So I've got to figure that one out. I'm gonna to have to have horses ready. <laughs> so if I ever draw that tag, that's the one. That's the bad part. You know, I mean, the way Colorado does. Um, those three species, the Rocky Mountain bighorn sheep, moose, and mountain goat, is that you put in for three years and you get your three preference points. After three years, you begin to get what they call weighted points. So you'll have three and one, and then you'll have three and two, three and three, three and four, three and five, three and six. And this so, is why, real quick, this is why, you know, guys that are familiar with this change on the the upfront, not requiring the upfront fees anymore, are saying that if, and this is a word of caution, if you're a guy that has been building uh, points or preference points or whatever you're going to call them for these trophy species, especially for the last, you know, whatever, 5, 10, 20 years, um, you've got, in my opinion, you've got a three-year gap here, a three-year window before that wave of with those preference points hits, right? Is that correct? Yeah. Where all of yeah, a sudden so- the market's going to be flooded, you know, with, who knows how many more could be 10 times right. more people building points for these species. Uh, is that only apply to the, tr- the trophy ones that we're talking about? Well, no, I mean, it would apply also to the, to elk and deer and stuff okay. as far as that, that flood of, yep. of points coming in. But, but the way that they do the, the draw for those three species is different that you get your three preference points and then you start getting, getting the weighted preference points. And the way that this draw works is when you put in for the species, let's take Rocky Mountain goat. I put in for goat for an archery tag where there's 20 tags. Um, I have three points and six weighted points. 
what they do when I apply is they they give me a nine-digit number, nine-digit application number that goes with my application. So when it comes through, they assign that number to my name. Once everybody's applied, they take all those application numbers and they flip them around backwards. And then they take the number of weighted points you have and they divide that num that application number that's been flipped by the number of weighted points you have. And then the 20 lowest numbers get those tags. <laughs> At least it's not complicated or stupid. I want to know what freaking engineer they paid to figure that out. <laughs> I mean, hello. What so, happened to the good old days where you just punch in the random number generator on Google? You know, <laughs> man, I don't know. <laughs> but I will tell you. So, so here I am. I've been, you know, back in the day when I first started putting in forever ago, when I was young. And so I moved to Texas for a while and it got so expensive to continue to put in that I held off. And while I was gone, Colorado then made a law that I didn't realize they made that if you didn't put in for five years, you lost your preference points. Heard your points yeah. So when I moved back to Colorado, I put in and I was like, wait, I don't have any more preference points. I had lost everything for bighorn sheep, moose. And, and actually when I left, you couldn't, there was no moose hunting in Colorado. So it was bighorn sheep and, and, uh, goat that I lost all my preference points for. Um, so anyways, <laughs> I've had to start over, but where I'm sitting now with my, um, goat tag this year, half of those tags went to people that had less preference points than me hmm. because it, it still is a random thing because they give you this random number and then they flip it around backwards and they divide by your weighted points. So. Okay. Good to know. Well, yeah. <laughs> we, we won't, we won't get too deep into those. I think that's good enough. I mean, the, the, in my opinion, the real, the real point here is like, if you, if you're, especially on those trophy species, like you're getting up around that 15, 20, whatever the number of points is for you guys over there, like, and you're sitting on the fence of, you know, maybe I was going to wait five years to draw some special unit or whatever might be worth, you know, picking off a unit that you can draw in the next three years before this wave of, uh, of new, you know, new, uh, people that are all putting in now are, are going to come at yeah. you. So yeah, it's you know, awesome. it's, that's something to think about. Okay. Um, okay. Anything else, Matt, that, uh, that we missed or that you wanted to touch on? I mean, I, I think that was just a really good rundown of the state of Colorado, the deadline to apply for Colorado, if I'm not wrong for all species is April 3rd. And the, the thing is open right now, and and one key to that um, that you know I had to go through and that everyone needs to not waste their time on is they changed systems this year, right? And so yes, you have to. It's not that anything really is crazy, but you have to get onto the new um, account and kind of set up your account on their new uh, website, which I don't have the website. But in order to do that, you just have to have your CID number. And so you can probably pull that off your previous year's hunting license or your tag. Um, but you have to have that. I called in and the girl literally, it was just a three second conversation, told her who I was and what my birthday was or whatever. And she gave it to me, but just understand like my buddy Corey called in a couple days ago. And now that the applications are open, the, the lines are flooded, you know, and it took him right. eight, eight or 10 calls, uh, callers ahead of him to get through. So just plan on that. This is definitely not, I'm the guy sometimes that will wait till the last day. This is definitely not the year in Colorado with their, their new website. Who knows how that'll end up in the last, you know, 24 hours. And plus you got to set up that thing. It's just not the year to wait. Um, in Colorado, I would get applied early. Um, right. 
the bonus point uh, or the upfront money uh, is another key. We talked about that. And then the last one I want to recap on was your uh, your little secret of the small game or the fishing license. If that, if I can pull that off, um, I owe you a commission check on that. Because you just, uh, no worries. I, I love helping people out. Yeah. So. No, uh, we, but I do need to say, I do need to tell you something that people need to know. Yeah. Um, if you had your driver's license renewed, if you're a resident of the state of Colorado and you had your driver's license renewed in the last six months, you have got to either verify that through an email or go down to the Division of Wildlife, one of their regional offices, before you can apply for your tags. As a resident. So again, don't, as a resident. As a non-resident, it doesn't matter they because you're a non-resident. Okay. But the way that the DMV works here, it'll mess up. And if you try to wait to the last minute, it's, you're going to get messed up. <laughs> so if you're a resident of the state of Colorado and you've renewed your driver's license in the last six months, go down to the Division of Wildlife, get it verified, and then that way when you, you can go put in um, and it's not, you know, April 3rd and you're freaking out because the office is already closed. So Perfect. Awesome, Matt. Any, uh, any last, you know, we, so I, I still want to run you through, um, I know this has been a little bit more of a, an informational um, you know, podcast and, and we'll, we'll definitely, you know, we can just have you on maybe wrap up after this season or something, a kind of a more, you know, stories or hunting stories, but I still want to run you yeah. through, um, uh, just kind of the fire round of questions. If, if I can, uh, I don't have my notes in front of me, but I'm getting enough episodes now. I can usually <laughs> rattle them all off uh, from memory, but, um, right. are you a fixed blade or a mechanical broadhead guy? I'm a fixed blade guy. Fixed blade. Um, let's see. Elk, mule deer, or antelope? Um, if I have to pick one, it's going to be mule deer. Um, I mean, muley, but, muley Matt, you know. Oh, yeah. But, man, I love chasing those antelope. Spot and stalk on an antelope is an absolute blast. Where did muley Matt originate from? Um, I think Dale Pearson was the one who coined that term. Um, back when Rocky Mountain Athlete was first starting, I went on a hunt with them. And I was just taking pictures of mule deer, and I went on a hunt with um, – it's funny, actually, that's where I met Aaron Snyder was in the backcountry on a hunt um, with, with Dale and, and Rich and a few other guys. We just happened to be driving down the same road and passed him and said, oh, that's Aaron. And we backed up. We all got out and talked for a while. He ended up in our camp helping out. and It was, it was a blast. But um, I, that's where it originated from was that, that weekend. Um, they just kind of – Dale kind of co- coined that term, and it, it stuck. And it was about the same time that Instagram was first kind of popping up. And I thought, Hey, that was my Instagram handle. So <laughs> nice. once it, once that happened, it stuck. Nice. Good work, Dale. Um, yeah. backcountry rifle caliber, best backcountry rifle oh, caliber. Man, there are so many good ones. I tell you, I shot the 28 Nosler, uh, last year. I, I'm not a long distance shooter. I, the longest I've ever shot on an animal is maybe 300 yards. Um, but a buddy of mine, um, Jay was, had this 28 that he'd been working on and he's made me lay down and my other buddy, Jason, and said, have you ever shot, you know, very far? And he said, no, I said, no, he said, that rock right there is a thousand five yards. I want you to shoot it. And, you know, he helped dial it in and said, okay, hold half a minute for wind. And man, I smoked that rock, which was about the size of a kill zone on a deer. And I was like, holy cow. (laughs) So that 28, man, that thing shot sweet, but my go-to caliber 
for where I live, you know, my kind of hunt everything and it, and it can be a good backcountry caliber and, and long distance shooting is a seven mag. Nice. What, uh, what's your favorite backcountry food item? <laughs> All right. So I sneak in and I've got a few things. I got two that I, that I try to always have with me. Um, if I'm eating like a mountain house or something like that for a meal, for a dinner, I take in wasabi almonds and I pour the wasabi almonds into the, into the mountain house to give me a little more flavor. But I also snack on those wasabi almonds all the time. The other item I love to have with me is these, uh, yogurt covered fruit snacks. Mm. (laughs) So, um, what's your dream hunt? Oh, right now I would have to say, you know, it, it changes and, I'm going to say this hunt because this hunt is in my grasp and I'm taking the steps to take the hunt. And I think, I believe it's the same hunt you guys are getting ready to take pretty soon, but, um, a moose hunt and, and it's going to be a float trip, do it yourself float trip for moose and, and possibly caribou, but nice. Yeah. With my bow. Yeah. We're, uh, tentatively 2020 looking at that and it, it's, yeah, it think, takes about two years to plan these things. I'm telling you. Right. Yeah. I think we're looking at like 20, I think we're looking at like 22, so yeah. <laughs> we're giving ourselves a few years to save up and get no, planned. You can't yeah. give yourself too much time to plan these things. I know. Pretty, um, soon, pretty soon everyone's going to be doing it. Nobody yeah. will, will be able to afford it. <laughs> and then one, if you had to, could only hunt one state the rest of your life, what would it be? Um, I'd have to say Alaska. <laughs> I've never hunted there, but man. <laughs> seriously, though, like that's a good answer, I think. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like this species you could hunt there i'd move up to alaska and you know i mean i i have i'm blessed with some wonderful boys and i wouldn't ever change that but if i didn't have my boys i'd be in alaska (laughs) you know i'd move up there just just because of hunting awesome okay uh one last question that i always ask everyone but first i want to give you credit matt um i want to give you credit (laughs) first thing that came to mind is being absolutely the most persistent elk hunter that I have ever heard of in my life. Um, <laughs> I would I have, have not given up. Hey, w- like there is some, there's some serious honor in a guy who sets out what he's going to, um, you know, I did it with mule deer. I said, I'm not shooting another mule deer. Um, after so many forked horns, I said, I'm not shooting another mule deer. That's not Pope and young and it. I went on like a seven year drought, man. And like last year felt good to finally with a bow at least, Um, and so I want to give you credit for just, I mean, that's, that's, I look up to that. Um, you, you've got your, your goal in mind and you're just going to hit it. So, um, the other thing I like to give you credit for is you're just unbelievable pictures of deer, man. Like you, um, man, you're like, I sat in your seminar at the Western hunt expo and you were talking about taking pictures of wildlife because it's obviously your passion. And I just want to give you credit for taking some of the most awesome pictures of wildlife that i've ever seen um and then last you just kind of touched on i love to give guys that i know are family men credit uh for you know having uh keeping important things important um you know i i know that your boys uh, mean more the more to you than than any hunt or any mule deer or any picture anything like that so i want to give you credit for uh, being a good example to other dads and other you know uh people in in the hunting world so thanks for that awesome thank you Last question. Why do you hunt the backcountry? Um, you know, this, this question comes pretty easy for me. Um, the backcountry has always tested me. Um, 
more than anything else, you know, I, I was a college athlete. I played two different sports in college. Um, and the backcountry tests me and, and shows me what I'm made of in a way that nothing else could. Um, when you get into the backcountry, you can't buy success. You can't buy um, your way out. You know, it's what you have inside, what you've prepared, you know, who you are that determines your level of success, not only whether or not you kill an animal, just your level of success for making it back there mentally, physically, emotionally, um, you know, a solo backcountry hunt drains you more than anything else that I can think of. But at the same time, it can be the most rewarding, you know, adventure of your life. So for me, it's just a gut check of who I am and, uh, and continually just to, to push myself to be better. Perfect. Matt, thank you so much for jumping on. I uh, pre- you. appreciate your time. And like I said, we need to do a, just a follow-up, maybe even at the expo next year or something like that, just kind of a recap of your season. And um, we'll talk about the, uh, the six-point bowl that I'm predicting That's right good. now. Muley Matt is going to put down, and we're going to have to start calling you Six point bowl mat um, is what I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to nickname you at the hunt expo next year. So let's, uh, I mean, hopefully we, we talk and run into each other before then, but thanks for coming on and uh, you know, we'll do a follow up. So. Of course. Thank you. And Hey, keep pumping out these awesome podcasts. I'm loving it. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it, man. Uh-huh. See you, buddy. Hey everybody. Thank you for listening to the finding Backcountry podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, Make sure you subscribe and mention it to your friends. But the best thing you can do, leave a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. For notes and links to this and other episodes, please visit FindingBackCountry.com.